Good morning. Uh, before we begin, I want to share something. I have them on the table back there. There's a coloring book uh, for the Easter Vigil. Would be particularly useful. Any children, or I mean, I don't care if adults you want to color along with the Easter Vigil, have at it. Um, but there's a lot of information in there. Would be great for kids who are going to participate in the, in the vigil to know all the things that are going on, things to look for. I've got them out ahead of time because when we're reading the readings in the vigil, it's too dark to color. So um, might be useful to look at ahead of time or after the fact, but there are several on the table in back there. Also, before we get into our next section, any questions from our first session on early church history. We had looked at the worship and worship space, uh, just to try to get a picture of how it looked when Christians came together and they, when they had baptisms, when they celebrated the Lord's Supper. Anything we, before we get into our 10 church fathers. So you've got the handout on the ivory colored. It's two pages. We're going to go through 10 of them. Um, what you have on the sheet are all quotes, things written um, by these men. The timeline is still out there, so you might want to reference that. Just have that by your side when we talk about things, just to kind of place them in time and, and location. All the ones that we're going to talk about today are on, on there. Uh, in, in general, we're starting with the, what we call the Apostolic Fathers. The three main ones being Clement of Rome, Ignatius of Antioch, and Polycarp of Smyrna. Those are the first three that we're going to... And you see, they're in the time because they, they overlap with the apostles. And, and so these are men, generally, some of them who knew were disciples of some of the apostles of Jesus, or at least they were around uh, before they had died. Uh, uh, and for another kind of chart referencing that, this one I think is useful just to see some of the connections between these ones. These are the, the three that we're starting with here. Um, and you see they all have connections sometimes to two of the apostles or to each other. Okay, so we're starting with Clement of Rome. Clement of Rome, he's called the Clement of Rome because he was the bishop of Rome. We, he does get listed in lists of the popes, but that, that's something that developed later as far as saying that the bishop of Rome was the bishop, was the pope. There was no pope at this time. There was no uh, monarchical bishop <coughs> over Rome, that, and certainly not of um, other places besides Rome. So if he's a bishop in Rome, and we talked about that last time a little bit, the New Testament and the early writers often use the term bishop and presbyter or elder, uh, or the episcopus, which is the word for bishop, they use those interchangeably oftentimes. Uh, Eventually, as we get through this section, what happens is, and we talked about that, right? You had multiple uh, elders in a place. 
but then you might just have one bishop over, say, in, in a city. The churches in a city get too big for one place. Remember, they originally they were meeting in houses, so they don't have churches that seat a couple hundred. It gets too big. You've got multiple um, elders, but one bishop, eventually. But they're, they're really used interchangeably often as far as what do they do. Uh, so, so Clement is a bishop in Rome, so he's called Bishop of, of uh, Clement of Rome. And he's listed sometimes as the fourth pope, but not always. There's, they can't always determine which order they all go in, of course, because none of these guys knew that they were in that. Um, and the, what, what he's mainly known for is this one letter. There is another letter called First Clement uh, that's not as strongly attested, but this letter of the Romans to the Corinthians. So he's the bishop of Rome, and so as the bishop, he writes to Christians in Corinth, Similar to how Paul, St. Paul, writes to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, uh, writes to them. And much like 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians in, in the Bible, uh, Paul was writing to the Corinthians to resolve disputes and problems in the congregation. That was a problem in Corinth. Um, and, and so there's some of that in this letter. Uh, in general... It reads much like one of the New Testament epistles. Uh, just in, it's a pastoral kind of letter, um, giving them advice on, on, on various things. It is interesting, though, that in some editions, early editions of the New Testament, this letter was included with, with Paul's epistles. You know, eventually, like, the, the New Testament narrows to say we're apostolic letters, and this didn't. Uh, qualified, but it it existed. Um, it was it was written. It's valuable. It's it's useful. Interesting to read. Um, the quote that's on the on the page is simply the first line of that letter, which the Church of God, which sojourns in Rome, to the Church of God, which sojourns in Corinth, to those who are called and sanctified by the will of God through our Lord Jesus Christ. It, 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 even in the address, it sounds very much like what the way Paul's letters uh, begin to. Uh, there's not really much else we know about Clement of Rome. It's kind of this letter that is written. Uh, like I said, there's Second Clement too, um, not as... Not as strongly. There's a, there's a likelihood that that second one wasn't really a letter. may not have even been from Clement, that it was a sermon uh, that someone gave, and it eventually got called Second Clement. Not sure. All right? Not a ton on, on Clement here. Do we know how he died? Of the apostles were... Yeah. Um, I don't know that we can say we know for sure, but the, the tradition is. And when I say the tradition, because this, our record of this comes written much later like maybe 1,000, you know, 900, 800 years later, there, there is a, uh, a document that talks about them, and it, they said, and it's, part of it is because part of that tradition includes these legends about, there's this something about, like, he stuck a pick in the ground and water came gushing out, like, kind of did some miracle, and then, then he got in trouble for that and got arrested, and then he's executed, but um, generally it's, he got thrown overboard with an anchor tied around him. 
Um, sometimes you'll see um, an anchor with a cross on it. You've seen that sometimes. Um, and sometimes that's referred to as a Clementine cross because of this. That's, that's the... <laughs> it's an interesting way to tie them. <laughs> and then, and then from there, 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 you know, there's the legends about like his remains then and what happened to them that they, you know, found found remains that were tied to an anchor, and so then, you know, then then you had the beginnings of what became later on the relics of the saints, where they find their bones and then they encase them. Then belongs to another another tradition. But one thing that, that we will see with all of these guys, when you, you see this in the early church, they cared very much about the bodies of the martyrs. They were very particular about trying to get them to burial and not letting them to, you know, just rot. Dead. When he said when this date was the 30th, 110, I think he got it there. What did, yeah. Yeah. When was 30? Right after from the time of Jesus? Yeah. So, was he still with it? So, so, you know, he's, he's born, right, so during Jesus' lifetime, it would seem. Or right after and right around there. Um, and I don't think we know, like, where he's, like, originally from. He ends up in Rome. But where, I'd, I'd have to look up to see if there's any. A lot of times, all we know about the people are these things that they wrote. You know, so anything else is conjecture unless we have some other evidence. So, so that's the time. You know, and if as that um, this chart said that he was some kind of disciple or an acquaintance at least of Peter and Paul, which would make sense that both Paul and Peter, at least we know Paul got to Rome. Um, Peter, we think, was in Rome too. So that they would have run into him. Um, Peter and Paul supposedly executed in like 60, at least 64, I believe, something around there. Um, so he had been 30 year old or so. Uh, likely to, to have known them at least. Yeah. Which also then, if he's writing this, and I don't know the date on this letter, but he's writing this uh, if knowing Peter and Paul, maybe some of the other apostles, for all we know. You are, when you're alive at a time when other people who were alive when Jesus was there, they would have the opportunity to correct you if you were kind of totally off the rails. Right? Uh, so that's helpful to us. So Clement, now Ignatius. Ignatius of Antioch. He's a bishop of Antioch. So Antioch is in Syria, north of Jerusalem, Galilee, just north of there. Antioch becomes an early center. That's mentioned in the New Testament. There was an Antioch that they were first called Christians. So Ignatius is, again, bishop there, pastor over the city. Um, he's also listed as a, a student of, of John. But all we know about him is basically these letters that he wrote during the last, we don't really know exactly, maybe a couple of years of his life, as he's arrested in Antioch and he's taken to Rome. And along the way, 
and it's, it is kind of strange. So, so he's got to get from Antioch to Rome, and the easiest way to get there, the cheapest way, if they were trying to get him there for trial for some reason, and that's kind of murky as far as, you know, how was he arrested, who was he under, but would have been to go by sea, right? But he, they, he doesn't. He's, he goes probably in a band of soldiers that had business along the way. And so he's taken by land, and he's able to visit some of these churches along the way. And so then he writes these letters to them, sometimes after he's visited them. Um, so especially Ephesus, Smyrna, that's those, no, Smyrna's not even on here. Um, and he writes these letters on his way to martyrdom. Um, and we have that, I mean, just... Find the, the list of those letters. So you have letters to the Ephesians, to the Magnesians, to the Trallians, to the Romans, to the Philadelphians, the Smyrnians, and, and then he has a letter to Polycarp. And if you remember, the, the next name on the list is Polycarp. So he writes a letter to him. Polycarp is the bishop in Smyrna. So he visits the Smyrna, writes to the Smyrnans, but he also writes to their pastor. Um, and these are all very interesting. Uh, so we'll start with... The, the first quote is in his letter to the Ephesians, where he writes, There is one physician who is possessed both of flesh and spirit, both made and not made, God existing in flesh, true life in death, both of Mary and of God, first passable, then impassable, even Christ, Jesus Christ our Lord. Uh, what this is, you see this, this is an example, an early example of them teaching the deity of Christ. They understood this as, as clear, that Jesus possessed of both flesh and spirit, made and not made, God existing in flesh, true life in death, both of Mary and of God. Um, a teaching maybe not as well drawn out as we would like, like in the Athanasian Creed, for example, but um, they understood Jesus as true God. Okay, and this is a, just an example as, as writing through it. Um, Later on in that same letter, uh, Ignatius writes, Continue to gather together every one of you, breaking one bread, which is the medicine of immortality, the antidote we take in order not to die, but to live forever in Christ. So this phrase, the, the medicine of immortality, this is where that uh, comes from. Uh, which is it's just a beautiful way to describe the Lord's Supper, isn't it? Uh, the medicine of immortality so that we might not die forever. Um, we, have, we have life. Yeah. Uh, the, another letter, and I didn't, I didn't put a quote in here, but I want to see if I can find it quickly. In his letter to the Magnesians, the city of Magnesia, he writes, and in this one, he mentions... Uh, the, the shift of Christians to worship from the Sabbath to the Lord's Day. Um, he writes, If then those who had lived in antiquated practices came to newness of hope, no longer keeping the Sabbath, but living in accordance with the Lord's Day, on which our life also arose through him and his death, which some deny, the mystery through which we came to believe, and because of which we patiently endure in order that we might be found to be disciples of Jesus Christ, our only teacher. Um, 
So he's describing some people who come to the Christian faith, um, and so they no longer um, keep the Sabbath, but they live in accordance with the Lord's Day. And then he goes into what happened on the Lord's Day, which our Lord's life, actually, our life arose through him. So why is it the Lord's Day? So Jesus rose from the dead, but our life is in him. That's why we celebrate Easter, isn't it? Because we have life in Jesus' life. Um, so it's not just because, not just this, like, we're, we're celebrating this, this wonderful thing that happened for Jesus, how nice for him, good, good for him, that he got to not stay dead. What we're celebrating is our life in him. Um, and then after that, he says, how can we possibly live without him? <laughs> That's great. Um, next, the letter to the Smyrnians. Uh, he writes, wherever the bishop appears, there let the people be, as wherever Jesus Christ is, there is the Catholic Church. This is the first time we see this term Catholic um, used in Christian literature. And, and so this original use, um, you know, where he's, you know, what, what makes it the Catholic Church? And we, we've looked at that before, right? Just to review, the, the term Catholic, the Greek word means according to the whole. It's, so we sometimes translate like something like universal. It's the one that's the same everywhere. It's not divided up. It's, it's, it's the church. And so what's the definition for it? How, as he says it, wherever Jesus Christ is, there is the Catholic Church. It's, it's Jesus' church. It's the presence of him with his people who believe in him. That's it. Right? Um, later on, you do see it referring kind of specifically... Um, and it, it takes a while before it's the, the Roman Catholic Church, but it, it, it eventually morphs into the Catholic Church versus um, it, it gets used for the Orthodox, the right teaching church. So the Catholic Church as opposed to heretical false teaching. Um, that's how it gets used a little bit later on, but initially here it is. Um, Ignatius writes a lot about the na- nature of the bishop. Um, and he talks about, like he says here, wherever the, wherever the bishop appears, let the people be. Um, because his, his understanding is that the bishop is the representative of Christ. And that's why he then says, wherever Christ is, there's the church. And so we want to be with Jesus. And he says the bishop is the one who t- teach that. Uh, and, and so the, the pastor with the, with the people together make the church. It's the hearing and the preaching together. That those things aren't to be separated. And, and he warns against the, it, the factions where people would go and have, like, have separate things apart from the bishop, apart from the, the pastor that the dividing up. It was a unifying thing just as, in order to teach, the unity of the church under Christ. Uh, next, also in the same letter, he talks about the Eucharist. Uh, Take note of those who hold heterodox opinions on the grace of Jesus Christ, which has come to us, and see how contrary their opinions are to the mind of God. They abstain from the Eucharist, the Lord's Supper, uh, and from prayer because they do not confess that the Eucharist is the flesh of our Savior, Jesus Christ, flesh which suffered for our sins and which that Father in his goodness raised us up. They who deny the gift of God are perishing in their disputes. And so he's talking about these false teachers. And they stay away from the communion because they, he says they don't believe in it. 
because they don't believe, they do not confess that the Eucharist is the flesh of our Savior Jesus Christ. So a very early, clear confession of, of saying, what is this um, sacrament? It is the body of our Lord Jesus Christ. Is not making any qualifications about that. So, so a lot of times what we're seeing here, are, you know, these are statements that we could make, um, and, and we see that the teaching of the church has not changed over time as though we sort of like um, morphed the church, you know, teaching into what we, what we believe now and that these early Christians didn't really know, they didn't really understand. No, they, you know, they might not say things exactly as we would say them all the time. And certainly there's always room in every age for errors and you can see that here. There's, there are people teaching differently then too. They say, no, this is what we're going to confess. Then, in his letter to the Romans, he always there's the letter to the Trollians, then to the Romans. We have, uh, so now, and, and he does this in all, a lot of these letters that he writes along the way. Um, he makes these stops and he visits with them, and, and he writes a lot about, he knows that he's going to die. And he, we need to understand this rightly. He kind of wants to. So look at this quote. He says, I'm writing to all the churches, and I enjoin all that I am dying willingly for God's sake. If only you do not prevent it. I beg you, do not do me an untimely kindness. Allow me to be eaten by the beasts, which are my way of reaching to God. I am God's wheat, and I am to be ground by the teeth of wild beasts, so that I may become the pure bread of Christ. So, he says, I'm... I'm preparing to be martyred. Don't try to stop this. It's like, don't, don't appeal to me. Um, he, he says, don't do me an untimely or an unseasonably kindness. That apparently comes, there's an ancient proverb that goes, an unseasonable kindness is no different than hostility. It's like a well-intentioned good that you're trying to do, but I, I need to do this. Um, and one of the, so, so, What's behind this? He doesn't have a death wish. He's not like, it's not like he's committing suicide and then, you know, like, I've got to die, I've got to die. But he understands that those who are condemned to death as, as Christians, the only way out of that, in, in general, you know, so if you're condemned to die for being a Christian, what, you can get out of that. Easy. You know, I can do it. You just go with the Roman. You give up, you give up the faith, right? And so the only way out of being condemned to death is, is apostasy. And even if, even if that wasn't the case, that, would be, that could be assumed to be the case. You know, some, you know how, did, how did you avoid that? Well, you know, I bribed the guard, or I, I don't know what other way out there would be. Uh, and that is not, he wants to, to give a, a, a clear confession. When he says that... Um, the, Allow me to be eaten by the beasts, which are my way of reaching to God. It doesn't, I don't think he has in mind that somehow by being martyred, he is like earning his salvation. But just understanding that what, what is the way for him to, to get to heaven is through death. Um, he's not actively seeking this out and like, here, kill me, but he is going willingly and ultimately, he's going to be, he's going to be executed. Um, as far as we know, that he does get 
you know, thrown to the, they mentioned lions. I don't know if it's actually lions or other animals are mentioned sometimes in this thing, but um, killed by the beast, which is typically how that's, how that's depicted. But they murdered a lot of people in stadiums. Yeah, in the Colosseum is probably yeah. where that, uh, assuming that he does end up in Rome, and it, and it goes as he, as he intends it to, to go. Um, but the interesting thing is that, yeah, that they let him stop at all these churches. He'd stop and visit the churches. People would visit him. He'd write letters. Um, and pretty much all of what we have of him exists in that, along that journey. Yeah. Uh, one interesting thing, then this is again in tradition, um, but there's the, in the, the account, it's called the, the martyrdom of Ignatius. Again, it's a later on, later writing. Uh, but it makes the comment that, that Ignatius was one of the little children that women, the, that the mothers brought to Jesus. Um, let's see, does that, so that, that might, but this, this date, we don't necessarily, I mean, this much time, we, that's, it's the random, it would have to be earlier if that was the case, right? If that actually did happen. But that's just an interesting little, you know, whether or not it was him, just imagine the life of those, you know, like what, we have no idea. But those children grew up. And you wonder. Polycarp. I'm going to spend some time with Polycarp. Um, What do we say? Um, Also a student of John, of the Apostle John. Uh, Two things that we mainly have from him is a letter, his letter to the Ephesians, to the Philippians, I'm sorry, and then this account of his martyrdom. In the letter to the Philippians, which apparently, so this is Polycarp. Remember, Ignatius had written to a letter to Polycarp. Which was, I read it through this morning. Really interesting, really. Um, just you know, pastor to pastor and about how he relates to the, the people that he serves. In it. Uh, so Ignatius was writing to Polycarp uh, while he's going. And later on, Polycarp goes, uh, will be uh, martyred as well. Uh, within a few weeks, probably, of Ignatius' death, uh, then Polycarp writes this letter to the Philippians. Um, it, 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 in one place in the letter, it talks, it mentions Polycarp going, or Ignatius going to die, but it's not quite sure if he just assumed that that's where he was going by now he would be there and be dead um, so that's about the time that it's written he writes I am writing you these comments about righteousness brothers not on my own initiative but because you invited me to do so for neither I nor anyone like me can keep pace with the wisdom of the blessed and glorious Paul who when he was among you in the presence of the men at that time accurately and reliably taught the word concerning the truth when he was absent And when he was absent, he wrote you letters. If you study them carefully, you will be able to build yourselves up in the faith that has been given to you. So just a comment from the church father referring to the the apostle and his teaching, and he's pointing him to his letters. Even this, 
So if this is about the time that Ignatius died, that means this is about the year 117 that he's writing this letter. Philippians, written some, you know, probably 50 to 60 years earlier. So, so Polycarp encouraging the Philippians 60 years later to read a letter that was written to them by the Apostle Paul. Philippians. Um, well, we're still reading the letters, aren't we? Um, and so, uh, because, because I think what, what Polycarp noticed about them, we still notice, and we're still reading, although, like, it'd be hard for us to imagine, like, you know, having a letter that's, uh, you know, someone, some pastor wrote to this congregation and reading it, you know, saying we should keep on reading that letter that was written 60 years ago to this congregation. It's hard for us to, our, our memories are shorter, I think. Um, what year did the Apostle John die? Usually it's figured around the year 100. So a lot of this stuff is being written about that same time. Um, which maybe it was this. Now that would be a little bit later. Um, some of these letters, so maybe the letters of Ignatius, were kind of around the same time that John is writing his letter from Patmos. Is is like the the letters, but then also the Revelations, which we figure was written later. Um, towards the end is like while he's in exile. While in Revelation specifically talks about being in exile. So, um, and because of that dating, that's why John is figured to be a very young apostle because he lives so long and he lives a natural, or dies a natural death as far as we know. Um, we don't have his, you know, birth record, so we don't know exactly. You know, as long as, as, long as the apostles are alive, you, you at least think, these guys, you know, they can't just tell wild fairy tales, you know, and suddenly make up the idea that Jesus rose from the dead or something like that, um, because John could correct them up until he's in heaven. Um, so Ignatius does go, oh no, this is, we're on Polycarp here. So Polycarp, so then after his death, so Polycarp is martyred, and we're going to hear the story of it. Um, a letter is written from the from Smyrna to Philom, some Melian, another city, um, with a, an account, which seems to be written by someone who was there and saw it, of Polycarp's martyrdom, um, and that's what you have in the next the, the next quote. But I'd like to read a little bit more of it and kind of tell more of the story of Polycarp's martyrdom. So he's arrested, he's in Smyrna, and they find out that, that he's, to be, he's to be arrested. His followers, his disciples, try to get him to leave the city. He doesn't want to, but eventually he, 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 goes, with it. he goes out to a farm um, out of town, and then someone rats him out or something like that, and they find out where he is, and before, but before they capture him, he goes to another farm, and, he, and he's there kind of hiding out, sort of, but he... Uh, then I think it happens again. They, they find out they're on their way. Uh, let's leave. And he says, no, we're going to stay. So the soldiers stay. Um, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to read. Um, 
this is um, what initiates it. They, they, uh, After this, all the multitude, marveling at the bravery of the God-loving and God-fearing race of Christians, began shouting, away with the atheist, find Polycarp. Um, and then... Now the most admirable Polycarp, when he first heard the news that he was going to be arrested, was not disturbed. In fact, he wanted to remain in the town, but the majority persuaded him to withdraw. So he withdrew to a farm not far distant from the city, and there he stayed with a few companions, doing nothing else night and day except praying for everyone and for the churches throughout the world, for this was his constant habit. And while he was praying, he fell into a trance three days before his arrest, and he saw his pillow being consumed by fire. And he turned and said to those who were with him, It is necessary that I be burned alive. As, and as those who were searching for him persisted, he moved to another farm. Immediately, those searching for him arrived. And not finding him, they seized two slave boys, one of whom confessed under torture. For it was really impossible for him to remain hidden. Since the very persons who betrayed him were people of his own household. One thing you want to note in this, in, in this record, the language, whoever's writing it, it seems to be, they seem to be doing it intentionally. Some of the language that mentions things that are in Jesus' passion account. It was a goal for them to follow Jesus. And they thought, the early Christians thought, if, if we die like Jesus, not a bad thing. We'll hear about that a little bit in, in our in sermon this morning. Um, we we desire to follow Jesus, yes? Um, and, and how? Well, so you have that. He's betrayed by people of his own household. That's one thing. Uh, maybe I'll just kind of make, mention some of them. And the captain of the police, who just happened to have the same name, Herod, as, as he was called. Um, see what, Herod chasing him. Um, as he was called, was eager to bring him into the stadium in order that he, Polycarp, might fulfill his appointed destiny of being a sharer of Christ, sharer with Christ, while those who betrayed him received the punishment of Judas himself. So taking the young slave with them about on Friday, about supper time, the mounted police and horsemen set out armed with their usual weapons as though chasing after an armed rebel. You know, do you come out me with swords and clubs? Um, and closing in on him late in the evening, they found him in bed in an upstairs room in a small cottage. And though he still could have escaped from there to another place, he refused, saying, May God's will be done. So when he heard that they had arrived, that he went and talked with them, while those who were present marveled at his age and his composure, and wondered why there was so much eagerness for the arrest of an old man like him. Then he immediately ordered that a table be set for them to eat and drink as much as they wished at that hour. <laughs> you guys need something to eat before you arrest me? <laughs> oh. um, and he asked them to grant him an hour so that he might pray undisturbed. When they consented, he stood and prayed, so full of grace of God that for two hours he was unable to stop speaking. Those who heard him were amazed, and many regretted that they had come after such a godly old man. Now when at last he finished his prayer, after remembering everyone who had, had ever come into contact with him, both small and great, known and unknown, and all the universal church throughout the world, the word there is Catholic, all the Catholic church throughout the world, it was time to depart. And so they seated him on a donkey, and brought him into the city on the, great, on the day of a great Sabbath. Herod, the police captain, and his father, Nicetes, came out to meet him. After transferring him to their carriage and sitting down at his side, they tried to persuade him, saying, 
Why, what harm is there in saying Caesar is Lord and offering, offering incense? In other words, to this effect, and thereby saving yourself. So all they'd have to do is offer a little incense to Caesar, and he'd be out of trouble. So why, don't you, why don't you just do that? Save yourself the trouble. Um, now, at first, he gave them no answer. You've heard that before? When they persisted, he said, I am not about to do what they are, you are suggesting to me. Thus, failing to persuade him, they began to utter threats and made him dismount in such a hurry that he bruised his shin on, as he got down from the carriage. And without even turning around, he went on his way eagerly and quickly, as if nothing had happened to him. And as he was led to the stadium, there was such a tumult in the stadium that no one could even be heard. But as Polycarp entered the stadium, there came a voice from heaven. Be strong, Polycarp, and act like a man. This is where the, your quote starts from. And no one saw the speaker, but those of our people who were present heard the voice. And then, as he was brought forward, there was a great tumult when they heard that Polycarp had been arrested. Therefore, when he was brought before him, the proconsul asked if he were Polycarp. And when he confessed that he was, the proconsul tried to persuade him to recant, saying, have respect for your age, and other such things as they were accustomed to say. Swear by the genius of Caesar, repent, say, away with the atheists. The Romans used the term atheist for the Christians because the Christians didn't believe in all the, the pantheon of Roman gods. They just believed in one God. So they called the Christians the atheists. Away with, so if you would just say, away with the atheists, he could denounce, he'd be denouncing Christianity. Um, but the magistrate persisted and said, swear the oath and I will release you. Revile Christ. This is great. Polycarp replied, For 86 years I have been his servant, and he has done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme my king who saved me? But as he continued to to insist, is that how far the... Yep, so I'm going to keep reading. Uh, But as he continued to insist, saying, Swear by the genius of Caesar... He answered, if you vainly suppose that I, will not, that I will swear by the genius of Caesar as you request and pretend not to know who I am, listen carefully. I am a Christian. Now, if you want to learn the doctrine of Christianity, name a day and give me a hearing. <laughs> like if, you, if you'd like to find out more, I'd be happy to tell you. <laughs> um, the proconsul said, persuade the people. But Polycarp said, you I might have considered worthy of a reply, for we have been taught to pay proper respect to rulers and authorities appointed by God, as long as it does us no harm. But as for these, the people in the stadium, but as for these, I do not think they are worthy that I should have to defend myself before them. So the proconsul said, I have wild beasts. I will throw you to them unless you change your mind. But he said, call for them. For the, for the repentance from better to worse is a change impossible for us. But it is a noble thing to change from that which is evil to righteousness. Then he said to him again, I will have you consumed by fire since you despise the wild beasts unless you change your mind. But Polycarp said, You threaten with a fire that burns only briefly and after just a little while is extinguished. For you are ignorant of the fire of the coming judgment and eternal punishment, which is reserved for the ungodly. But why do you delay? Come, do you what you wish. As he spoke these and many other words, 
He was inspired with courage and joy, and his face was filled with grace, so that not only did he not collapse in fright at the things which were said to him, but on the contrary, the proconsul was astonished and sent his own herald into the midst of the stadium to proclaim three times, Polycarp has confessed that he is a Christian. When this was proclaimed by the herald, the entire crowd, Gentiles as well as Jews living in Smyrna, cried out with uncontrollable anger and with a loud shout, This is the teacher of Asia, the father of the Christians, the destroyer of our gods, who teaches many not to sacrifice or worship. Saying these things, they shouted aloud and asked Philip the Asiarch to let a lion loose upon Polycarp. But he said that it was not lawful for him to do so, since he had already brought to close to a close the animal hunts. Then it occurred to him to shout out in unison that Polycarp should be burned alive, for it was necessary that the vision which he received concerning his pillow be fulfilled, when he saw it on fire while praying, and turned and said prophetically to the faithful who were with him, It is necessary that I be burned alive. These things then happened with such swiftness, quicker than words could tell, the crowd swiftly collecting wood and kindling from the workshops and baths, the Jews being especially eager to assist in this, as was the, is their custom. When the pyre was prepared, he took off all his clothes and removed his belt. He also tried to take off his shoes, though not previously in the habit of doing this, because all the faithful were always eager to be the first to touch his flesh. For he had been treated with all honor on account of his holy life, even before his gray hair had appeared. Then the materials prepared for the pyre were placed around him, and as they were also about to nail him, he said, Leave me as I am, for he who enables me to endure the fire will also enable me to remain on the pyre without moving, even without the sense of security which you get from the nails. So don't tie me, just, or don't, don't nail me, just tie me. I'll stay put. So they did not nail him, but tied him instead. Then he, having his, placed his hands behind, his, behind him, and having been bound like a splendid ram chosen from a great flock for a sacrifice, a burnt offering prepared and acceptable to God, looked up to heaven and said, O Lord God Almighty, Father of our beloved, your beloved and blessed Son, Jesus Christ, through whom we have received knowledge of you, the God of angels and powers and of all creation, and of the whole race of the righteous who lived in your presence, I bless you because you have considered me worthy of this day and honor and hour, that I might receive a place among the number of the martyrs in the cup of your Christ, to the resurrection to eternal life, both of soul and of body, in the incorruptibility of the Holy Spirit. May I be received among them in your presence today as a rich and acceptable sacrifice as you have prepared and revealed beforehand and have now accomplished, you who are the undeceiving and true God. For this indeed, for all things, I praise you, I bless you, I glorify you through the eternal and heavenly high priest, Jesus Christ, your beloved Son, through whom to you with him and the Holy Spirit be glory both now and for the ages to come. Amen. And when he had offered up the amen and finished his prayer, the men in charge of the fire lit the flame. And as a mighty flame blazed up, we saw a miracle, we, that is, to whom it was given to see. And we have been preserved in order that we might tell the rest what happened. For the fire, taking the shape of an arch, like the sail of a ship filled by the wind, completely surrounded the body of the martyr. And it was there in the middle, not like burning flesh, not like flesh burning, but like bed, bread baking or like gold and silver being refined in a furnace. For we also perceived a very fragrant odor, 
as if it were the sense of, scent of incense or some pr- precious spice. When the lawless men eventually realized that his body could not be consumed by the fire, they ordered an executioner to go up to him and stab him with a dagger. And when he did this, there came out a large quantity of blood so that it extinguished the fire. And the whole crowd was amazed that there should be so great a difference between the unbelievers and the elect. Among them was most certainly was this man, the most remarkable Polycarp, who proved to be an apostle and prophetic teacher in our time, bishop of the Holy Church in Smyrna. For every word which came from his mouth was accomplished and will be accomplished. Um, So, uh, there's one other thing I'll note. Is um, after he dies, the centurion, seeing the opposition raised by the Jews, set it in the middle and cremated it, as is their custom. And so later on, we took up his bones, which are more valuable than precious stones, and finer than refined gold, and deposited them in a suitable place. There gathering together as we were able with joy and gladness, the Lord will permit us to celebrate the birthday of, this, of his martyrdom in commemoration of those who have already fought in the contest and for the training and preparation of those who will do so in the future. So we mentioned that when we talked about the Christians in the catacombs and like, so it wasn't a big enough place for them to have like church services, but they would go there and especially they would go there on the anniversary of a, of a martyr's death. And that's ultimately where you get the, the, the saints' days. Because oftentimes they are the day of their death. Christians celebrated those who had died on the day they, you know, they call it their heavenly birthday. And they would, they would call it celebrating. And it's interesting. In commemoration of those who already fought, that's one thing. But it's also the training and preparation for those who will do so in the future. Um, we would we would certainly hope not to suffer such a uh, such a fate in 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 a sense right but um, we we would want to be ready to do so yes and how how would we, how would that happen how would we prepare ourselves to hold to the faith even in the face of such persecution um, one of the ways would be to remember those who have, who have gone ahead and done that. That would, that would be one thing. Um, probably the bigger thing and the, the main thing is that we would learn to love the word of our Lord and his, his precious promises. And, his, you know, and, and so it, out, of, out of love and devotion for him, you know, like, like Polycarp says, he's 86 years and he's not done me wrong. Why would I give him up now? A little late in the game for that. <laughs> um. So now you can you can tell in that that account it's a little bit of a you know you, the description of the the miracle surrounding him him not dying from the fire and then you know, having to be um, I, I don't know you know like was that sort of embellished that's that's uh, entirely possible. Um, or, or even Polycarp seeing the vision of his pillow on fire, and that's a sign to him that he's going to be uh, burned. I don't know. Uh, but we do have this, this record, and it's, I think it's interesting and, and at least compelling in the sense that it, it shows this faith in the midst of opposition and persecution. Okay?
we got a couple minutes. We can talk a little bit about Justin Martyr. We mentioned him um, in our previous section. We had a couple quotes from Justin, um, the Acts. So he is called an apologist, meaning one who defended the faith, namely in the face of you know, opposition. So in his case, he's writing like he's got these documents, which are these three are mainly what he's known for, uh, what we have. His first and second apology, not I'm sorry, but a defense, right? He writes this to the emperor. So if you look on the, the timeline, Justin Martyr, um, and he's martyred like 160-something. You see that? Um, the emperor Antonius, down in the purple, he's probably who, this, who that was addressed to. And defending the Christians from, you know, because the Romans think the Christians are atheists. They think they do child sacrifice or they are cannibals or some other thing. And uh, so his, his defense, his apology is, and, and it's wonderful then because now it's a document for us that we're, like we saw in the previous section, that says, okay, what, how did the Christians worship? And he's giving this description of what they, what they did. Um, so in the quote before you here, you have another one from his first apology about communion. <coughs> He says, and this food is called among us Eucharistia, Eucharist, which means Thanksgiving. Um, you know, when Jesus says, after when he had given thanks, he gave it to them. Um, so that's why the, the, this meal became known as the Eucharist. For not as common bread and common drink do we receive these, but in like manner, as Jesus Christ our Savior, having been made flesh by the word of God, had both flesh and blood for our salvation, so likewise have we been taught that the word, that the food which is blessed by the prayer of his word, and from which our blood and flesh by transmutation are nourished, is the flesh and blood of that Jesus who was made flesh. So a clear confession of, of the presence of, of Christ in his flesh and blood in the sacrament. Um, and then you have this, this document um, called the Martyrdom of Justin, Again, like the other ones, you've got this, not by him, but a, an account of his martyrdom. Uh, the pref, prefect Rusticus says, approach and sacrifice all of you to the gods. Justin says, no one in his right mind gives up, gives up impiety for piety. The prefect Rusticus says, if you do not obey, you will be tortured without mercy. Justin replies, that is our desire, to be tortured for our Lord, Jesus Christ, and so to be saved. For that will give us salvation and firm confidence at the more terrible universal tribunal of our Lord and Savior. And all the martyrs said, do as you wish, for we are Christians, and we do not sacrifice to idols. The prefect Rusticus read the sentence, those who do not wish to sacrifice to the gods and to obey the emperor will be scourged and beheaded according to the laws. The holy martyrs, glorifying God, betook themselves to their customary place where they were beheaded and consummated their martyrdom, confessing their Savior. Um, and so the, the tradition is that Justin was martyred, I think, with six others, um, with six other men, uh, and beheaded. Which is this account. So that's four of the ten. That's kind of about as small as I expected to get to. We will, we will skip. So next week, Easter breakfast. So we won't have uh, Bible class, but we'll pick it up the following week on Quasimodo Genethi.
Shall we close with singing Shepherd of Tender Youth? I think let's do the same stances that we did last time. Let's do one, four, and five again. I won't keep on playing. I'll just...